Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast Strikes Back. My name is George. You're listening to our weekly podcast with the boys Connor. Hello. And Benny. Hi there. Day 97 of isolation. Oh man. The walls, is that accurate? I don't even know anymore. I actually don't know. I just fucked <laughs> that out of the what are you air. Do? Uh, <laughs> Correct hey, him. We're still on Zoom. We're doing it. It's it's happening here. And what a week in movie news. We've actually got some stuff. This is the first week since COVID really came through that we've got a few headlines, which is awesome to see. So uh, we've got a new Venom title. We'll be discussing that. And uh, launch day for HBO Max. Uh, and later oh. in the episode, something that I am very excited about, we're going to be talking about some Chris Nolan films that we've been watching in quarantine, nerding out about that. We've got an awesome, awesome question of the week later on that uh, we, 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 uh, that's going to be a whole section in of itself to, to segment. And at the ep- end of the episode, we have a teaser for a new segment that we're going to be launching on next week's weekly podcast uh, that I... Oh, man. Benny, you, you, you hatched this out of your mind. Um, I'm, I'm really excited I definitely for came it. up with this concept wholesale. No you know, this is 100% original. Um, you yeah. know, this is the stage after Einstein. And, and, and folks at home, the exciting part is, like, you guys can kind of um, come along on the journey with us. So anyway, that's a little bit of a teaser. Stick around for the end of the episode. We'll be talking about that. Um, but uh, before all the news, all the rest of the movie nonsense that we're going to be talking about today, let's catch up on what everyone's been watching. I'm going to go first again because I haven't really been watching much other than Chris Nolan. But um, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I've been watching an anime called Berserk. Mm, nice. Um I'm watching this on Anime Lab. It's uh, from 1997, 25 episodes. Uh, it is just an incredible piece. And um, really what's, what's the most noticeable thing about this compared to um, uh, most modern anime is, is just how stark it is in the presentation. There, there isn't, it hasn't got this hyper, um, you know, rapid fire nature to it. You know, it's explosive in parts, but... Um, you know, it, it, you can tell by the budget, you know, they really hold on frames for a long time, but it actually helps with the narrative and creates this atmosphere. And a lot of those 90s anime, they just don't have that same pause and and vibe that they had. So I'm really enjoying this. It's an absolute classic. Actually, you know, I got onto this because, you know, I've heard about it a lot. I've been recommended it by a lot of people, but I'm listening to this band right now called Brand of Sacrifice. They're kind of like this deathcore band and and their whole album is is lyrics about berserk so i was kind of just like okay these guys really love berserk i love this band let's let's go check this out so that's kind of a fun way that's the same way i got into evangelion with this band called fight star they did a whole album about evangelion and i got through that so i don't know something something about that i'm really thinking berserk's going to be um up there with one of my favorite animes when i'm done because uh, it's really I'm really enjoying it, and um, please God, please let me get through one TV series. It's, you it's not to, up to me, though. It's not up to me. You have to ride this one out, Georgie. I'm very interested to see what you think fate, of it as a whole. Fate, um, you, you've watched it, Ben? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I watched this back in the day when I was getting into anime in, in my early teens. Um, this is a this is a great one. Um, very, very interesting one, though. I think it'd be really interesting to maybe do an episode or, or to hear you guys' thoughts about if people aren't into a- anime, 
um, <clears throat> and never have never really dipped a toe in where they should start. Like what's the, <laughs> are you seven years old? That's the first question. Yeah. <laughs> Work I've, your way I up from Digimon. <laughs> bank of, uh, of, of anime, um, knowledge backed up in me, but I think that whole episode would be just be going, don't watch anime. <laughs> <laughs> I got some, uh, some intense opinions about that stuff. Yeah. But that's me for the week. Connor, what have you been watching, ah, cool. man? Cool. Um, I technically I watched this last week, but I didn't talk about it last week, which was um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I was very much late to the Finally. late to the party. Um, really, really late. Really <laughs> late. And I, I mean, I'm always a bit reticent to wa- uh, to watch those kinds of films, you know, because it, you know, in this kind of context where I'm late to the party, because. I, f- I feel like a lot of them get overhyped and they can't possibly live up to the, the kind of expectation that's been set. Um, and uh, this movie had a little bit of that. Um, I mean, on the whole, I really enjoyed the film. Um, I thought it was really solidly made. It didn't feel like other Tarantino films though. There's a lot of things about it that just kind of felt a bit, like still really good, but just didn't have the same kind of Tarantino flavor. Um, and, uh, but, but built atmosphere so fucking well. Um, there's like scenes in that, that I was genuinely terrified. Um, as well as scenes that I was like jumping on the couch, kind of like punching my air and, you know, my fist into the air. Um, oh yeah. So, I enjoyed that. Um, one thing I didn't, something I didn't like, which has actually been quite heavily um, talked about in the press and that was the portrayal of um, Bruce Lee, which I kind of get that there's a certain artistic license that creators can take with it. And I, you know, I fully support if Tarantino um, felt it was necessary to do that you know, I'm not going to say that he can't do it or shouldn't do it. But for me, as someone that was like, you know, has always been a fan of Bruce Lee, who's who's tried to to follow his career in and outside of the movie world. Um, it just it it rung it rung untrue in a very odd way. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just yeah, it didn't make sense to me. Yeah, I guess without knowing Bruce Lee, you know, to the level of depth that you know, I'm not able to really critique that scene accurately. Yeah, you know, grab a whiskey with him, with his kid, you know, Brandon Lee. um, But it's funny, like, apparently what what would often happen is that people would challenge him on the sets of movies. And he would repeatedly have to say no, because um, you know it's not it's not really good to go and start fighting in the middle of um, of sets and that. And it, like he was hounded constantly, apparently with challengers. Um, and uh, I, you know, I just thought it was very odd that that you know the depiction was the exact opposite that he was going out and challenging people or something shit like that. I was like, this just seems odd. But again it's artistic license and it's a weird thing to get um, upset about. Do you guys have like, have you ever had that in a film where you kind of 
something strikes you, it's not artistically wrong, but like just because you know of that person or you know of something that it brings you out of the film a bit? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember um, this guy I know because I used to be really in the audio, <clears throat> audio metal scene and quite entrenched in there. And then like that movie Whiplash came out and there was a lot of hate in the sort of in the drama sphere and the sort of tech tech metal, you know, really, really proficient drummers because, you know, they're, they're like, he can't play drums, you know. You know, yeah. they can see in the cuts where it's a wide shot of Miles Taylor on the drums. You know, it's, it's if you're aware of those things, it, 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 you're just like, fuck you, you know. And if that's when you dedicate so much of your passion to it, you know, it's like that can really tick you off. Um, but mm. for me, Whiplash and even my knowledge of drums and like I've recorded drums a shitload and whatnot and, and, and played live and whatnot in a bunch of bands, like I had no problem with the way whip that was done and I didn't really, I, I don't think I knew and I don't think I noticed and I don't think I cared. It was about the character and the presentation and stuff. So it's mm. funny like your life experience and what you're into can really shape how you, do, how you see a movie mm. and, and you can... You know, it's interesting, Connor, you're like, you, you list off all these things about the movie, but you're like, but wait a second, the thing about Bruce Lee, la, 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 yeah. you know, I that's like that part. So that's I obviously like the part where they made fun of a guy yeah. for like precisely 15 seconds. Yeah. So, so for you and, yeah. and, and your personal truth, that's what you, that's uh, something that really sort of comes to mind with that movie. So it's interesting, like reflecting on those things. Yeah. And I, tried I always found that like, um, Bruce Lee stuff a little odd too i didn't know exactly how i felt about it at the time but anytime it kind of gets in the way i just remember that um i, can't remember, I think it was a whiskey commercial or something that they they cgi'd him back to life for i'm like now that's a disrespectful use of bruce lee <laughs> this was this was at least a good movie <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty terrifying um that's pretty much all that i've watched from memory like you know same thing as last week we, we've been running through um archer in our spare time um, still love that. I mean, a lot of people shat on that as it as it progressed um, into the later episodes. And uh, honestly, I'm still on board. The the new season is actually, I think, like halfway through airing at the moment, and I'm super excited for it just because I love their writing. Nice one. Not something I've ever seen. Not something I'll ever see. I pray <laughs> to God I get through Berserk. Listen, just keep it simple. You Break it into bite-sized chunks. I'm glad mm. you tell me that now. I appreciate <clears throat> yeah. that. Oh, it's it's that kind of episodic, like, <sighs> let's get 10 <sighs> series out of this. Like, it's the worst. It, yeah. For me, it's like shutdown mode. It's funny writing. It's consistent. Like, I can zone out while I watch it. Like, at, at the end of a hard day, I'm like, fuck it. Let's just do this. Um, Please, reckon, God, like, no. For you. For you, scratch my eyes asleep. out before I watch that. <clears throat> no, you just fall asleep. Let's not, let's not pretend that you <laughs> yeah, have visceral reactions yeah. to movies. You just I bite my fingernails, so <laughs> it would be really, really tough. Benny, other some other than some Chris Nolan flicks, what have you been watching this week, man? Uh, so I took a um a page out of your your book, Connor. I've started watching Community again, um, as you've probably gathered from my constantly texting you about it. Um, yeah. I this is a dangerously rewatchable show because as we've discussed often it gets just awful towards the end and in some cases the middle 
Um, so I, I'm well and truly back into it. I'm already into season three and I just, I know that I got to jump ship like pretty much as soon as possible. Cause, um, the, the good days are all done. Um, but my God, when it's firing on all cylinders, it, it's really one of the best things out there. Um, and man, every member of that cast is so fantastic, but there's just so clearly one who stands head and shoulders above them all, which is of course, uh, Donald Glover. Um, I feel like for most people, this was their introduction to this amazing dude and holy crap he stands out from the very beginning of that show yeah and it's wild to think about like you know it's definitely what made him famous but how many like different facets that guy had like you know mm. went from being a writer um and you know from all accounts a pretty good writer like then sketch comedy um and then actual stand-up comedy and um you know being a, a television actor and then you know a rapper and then like you know whatever he is now like musician in general like his new album came out and um after you texted me ben about his new album mm. i i re-listened to it and i was like this man is is starting to go up a little up his own ass a little bit <laughs> this, is, this is getting a bit out there um but uh, which you know you can forgive um one album like that but um but even so, it, it does speak to a range and a, um, a kind of, yeah, an impressive grasp of just creativity. Yeah, I mean, the dude's a creative genius, honestly. Um, I love following whatever, whatever he's doing next. Um, uh, and on that note, I've got to recommend you guys um, Atlanta. If you haven't seen it, it's such a great show um, that he kind of wrote and directed and created and starred in. Only heard good things. Mm. As I said, um, and- let me get through Berserk, dude. <laughs> good luck good luck george when you jump ship off that yeah. um and one other thing i, I watched um, was a french film from a couple of years back that had been on my list for a while um just because of how amazing i heard it was which is uh, holy motors i don't know if you guys have heard of it yes um, i've seen that you've seen it wow yeah that is surprising um so man, again, I, holy uh, motors who? holy motors right kind of like yeah. a, a pale pale sort of gray cover what the sort of the green yeah 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 the the neon green it does have colors in it yeah um it's um (laughs) i've now like i'm i'm fairly film literate um but man i've never had like less of an idea of what was happening in a movie or what a movie was about and that never felt less uh knowledgeable about film than when i was reading all the um, amazing reviews for this Um, i did enjoy the film and i think it was very interesting and there's a lot to unpack and I, I'm kind of excited to to live with this movie um, in in my in my mind going forward. But um, man, I it's fair to say that to a large degree, I did not get it. Um, it, it was very cool. I remember having the same kind of thing. I, this I saw this like over five years ago, mm. and I, I just remember there's this. Isn't there one shot where it just continually tracks in on this window or something? No, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking something five, else. five years a long time yeah well, I just let that one roll yeah well i'm glad you enjoyed it man yeah it was very interesting cool. i definitely haven't seen that uh anything else benny uh no that that's uh that's it for me for the week Alrighty. Well, listen, guys, um, before we get into the news, I just wanted to say apologies for not getting uh, the first episode of Creators Up. 
this week. I got deathly sick on the weekend oh. uh, with food poisoning and I was just like down and out. I'm only Thanks. feeling better today. It was, it was being real bad. So it'll be coming out later this week. Uh, so look out for that. Benny, why don't we kick off with some news, man, first time in a while. Uh, yeah, so interesting developments this week. Um, I guess almost inevitably Netflix uh, is officially worth more than Disney right now. Um, based on their uh, the total share value and market value, it's it's um, kind of insane. Disney Plus has been doing as well uh, has been doing well as well. Sorry, um, obviously given the the current climate, but um, obviously Disney is just suffering in every other regard. So Netflix has um, officially overtaken them. Insane, huh? Mm. Insane times, you know, Netflix was so, even when we started this podcast three years ago, you know, this uh, Netflix was like an idea and now it's becoming a phenomenon. I mean, Tiger King has just been every, it's, that's part, it's part of pop culture now. Carol Baskin, yeah. all that, I hear it everywhere. So it's insane. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, now, now everyone's talking about this NBA, um, Chicago Bulls documentary that's, come out so you know they just are they i feel like unlike all the other companies um that are producing content netflix seem to really have done so much work putting out a lot of junk a lot of junk but they have taken that data and kind of learned and reiterated and i think they're they're honing in and they're just producing so much good stuff a great crucially they've just gotten themselves into millions and millions hundreds of millions of homes around the world yeah yeah i mean netflix has done an extraordinary job but they've they've not done it like the success of disney plus has been kind of overnight because they're leveraging an existing brand and yeah and um, whereas netflix is kind of like crept into the the zeitgeist like netflix is like the, the ziploc or or the you know um kleenex like it's one of those things that you the brand that you associate with the thing like Netflix mm. is streaming, right? You say, Oh, is it streaming on Netflix? And it could mean fucking anything. Like I'm going to search, you know, like it, it's, they've, yeah. they got in early enough. Like they were the pioneers. And mm. so they, they hold so much of the market, but that also, also give them the chance to like figure everything out and really spend the time and money that is required to build that kind of platform. Um, which I think is is going to be the struggle that Disney Plus has because Disney Plus is you know trying to come in without that base, um, you know, and a lot of the a lot of the learnings that that Netflix had to do are going to benefit Disney, um, but at the same time, yeah, it's it's no surprise that Dis- that that Netflix is hitting its stride now. Just for a quick point of comparison, um, Netflix apparently has 183 million subscribers <laughs> worldwide. Um, and Disney Plus just hit 50 million during this whole uh, lockdown situation. Um, that's enormous, given how young Disney Plus is. Um, like, mm. if they actually have the sense to, you know, follow some of the the plans that Netflix has set out over the years, um, they the the sky is the limit for them. But at this point, they're just not doing it. It seems. Well, I mean, Disney because did like if you think about it, Netflix has a no. Like, like it has one strategy and that is to get content in front of faces via its streaming platform. Like that is mm. their one thing. And they're going to be like, we're going to do it really good. And we're going to do it, you know, at 110%. Yeah. 
Whereas Disney, Disney's like, we've got a strategy for our theatrical releases. We've got a strategy for our streaming releases. We've got a strategy for our theme parks. Like, I mean, inevitably, when you become like that kind of behemoth, there's no way that you can avoid the fact that your attention is going to be split. Like your, your focus isn't going to be there. Um, there's going to be so, anchor points in those other departments that are going to, you know, maybe make your life a little bit more difficult. No, we're not going to release the, you know, to directly to streaming. We're going to keep mm. it in cinemas, you know. I'm sure the yeah. Disney Plus team were probably pitching to Kevin Feige and everyone, let's get this on Disney Plus. Look how many subscribe. We've done the projections. You know, this is, if we do, do Black Widow, this is how many subscribe. We're going, to, we're going to be at 75 million, you know. Oh, they would have loved that. Uh, and but, we talked you about know, this last time, right? Like that that would have undoubtedly made Disney Plus a more, um, you know, enticing yeah. proposition. But their overall strategy, like that conflicts with their strategy of their theatrical releases, of their of their big box office items, which they just are un, unflinchingly um, sticking to. Connie, you're but, just listing off all of the um, the different facets of of the Disney Corporation um, at this point, and it is seemingly endless. All of the um, all of the pies they've got their dirty little fingers in, um, mm. and and with that in mind, I never would have thought this possible. Just this this headline, you know, Netflix bigger than Disney. Um, like uh, like Disney has been expanding so much over the past uh, decade, like an insane amount. Um, but even despite that. Um, Netflix has, uh, has taken, obviously there's very extenuating circumstances right now, but, um, that headline just on its own is, is nuts. How many employees does Netflix have? I want to get 17, the crazy thing. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) Number of employees. Netflix has, um, this is not, this is getting off the beaten path, but Netflix, um, had their HR policy, um, leaked uh, a couple of years back like a decade back or something like that. Um, and they had like a, a really interesting approach to, to how they manage their own talent and stuff like that. Um, and for I'm thinking of the right like, company. That sounded horrible. Um, it, like, it sounded like a meat of, grinder. It, it's, it is and it isn't. Like their strategy was we're going to treat you like an adult and we're not going to like... The, the theory behind it was that bad employees cost the business a lot of money and it also costs that employee like if you're not suited to this job or if you don't have the skills or you're not good at it or anything like that not only are you hurting us but you're probably hurting yourself like you're not well suited to this so they're like we their strategy to sum it up really briefly was to like fire people early like if you're not suited to this job see ya see ya but they would give them like really good severance packages and really good recommends and they'd be like, so like, and they found that that meant that it was cheaper for them to hunt for good talent and like, you know, pay Fail people fast. well to leave um, than to like stick with bad employees for two years. Mm, gotcha. So listen to this. Netflix in 2019, 6,700 employees. Disney, 2019, 223,000 employees. Wow. That is a lean and mean machine, Netflix. I love that stuff. This is an mm. awesome story. Hell yeah. Digital age for the win. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, uh, kind of along similar lines, uh, we just got a variety of report this week that um, 
uh, informed us that Universal's Trolls World Tour um, has had the highest um, digital-only opening of all time with around $50 million, um, which uh, if you want to kind of compare that to um, theatrical runs, you would kind of double that figure because there's no theatres taking half of that away from them. Um, so that's uh, that's an interesting kind of to have a number there in this experiment of um, kind of cutting out the middleman that is the cinema. So Disney's reporting on this? Oh, sorry, um, Universal's reporting on this? Variety. But how are they getting this data is what I'm saying. I don't know, but they're Variety, so it should be pretty trustworthy. So what I mean is like, you know, Netflix isn't necessarily transparent. Like with the box office, there's a transparency there. And this is something I've been thinking a lot about recently is like, how do you collate all this all this stuff together? And is there a public space for this or, or are they just press releases where people get well, to know this data? From rental and buying, they'll know. Like that's just, that's basically as easy to find out as, as, um, as box office. Um, so you can find out then, like how many how many people have rented on you know youtube itunes everything all those platforms you can find that data presume i'm I presuming would you'd be able to say so yeah this isn't this isn't this would be pretty different than you know netflix's personal sure. um, data regarding yeah. their viewership i guess this is more like a traditional channel it's just digital but it's still mm. like buying a one-off purchase off itunes yeah it's a it's a digital release, not a streaming release. I believe. Yeah, yeah. Okay, makes yeah. sense. Yeah, good news for trolls. A whole lot of sense. <laughs> and that's a, that's an interesting experiment to have it be that film because um, I would feel that a kids movie like that would be a little less of a good proposition for certain people to to shell out you know twenty twenty US dollars to just mm-hmm. rent it. Um, whereas yeah. you could have, no, but see whether, see whether, if say they did this with, with Black Widow, um, people could get together, split the cash, save five bucks each, you know, families and stuff. With, with kids' movies, I would think parents would be less interested in renting a movie for that price rather than buying a movie for that price. So they could just chuck it on for their kids because the parents don't want to sit through this either, you know? Yeah, but you have to think when you got kids, it's like you buy a movie and they will watch that once a night for you know 16 days straight but that that's what i'm saying because this is a rental this is a one one view this oh, is yeah, a the, a, I think a $20 rental fee release includes includes purchases i believe no but they're, they're, this rentals. is a new release it's only rentals because all of these they all of these kind of direct to digital things they've been releasing then they don't have purchase available for them but onward they're, they're was onward. I thought it was the other way around for onward because when I when I went to look for that, mm. it was only it was. available to buy twenty four ninety nine. It wasn't available for rental. That technically already had a theatrical release though. Like that was didn't that happen with Rise release. of Skywalker as well, Connor? You were like you couldn't get the rental also before had a, a theatrical date. release. Yeah, but that's that's like theatrical releases. Yeah. So okay. Let me just have a look. Look at this. Makes I'm trying to figure out where you can purchase it. But yeah, you know, fuck trolls, man. Like I used to love those little things and shampoo their hair. And trolls, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I had like I had a few trolls. Um, I, I just like there was they were just the best. So I got some Ninja why... Turtle trolls right here behind me. Really? <laughs> can you yeah. can you show us? Can you grab it? 
was a little disruptive. Uh, no, I'm not changing. I'm not touching my setup here. I ignore that setup. <laughs> I've touched it in seventy years. <laughs> Uh, if I take this phone out of the out of the selfie stick, you'll lose yeah, me for the rest yeah, of the show. Yeah, fair enough. Um, anyway, yeah, oh, they may not be available in Australian markets yet. That must be it. Yeah, I, I would say. But um, yeah, it, not a huge amount to glean from it necessarily, just because this is one case. Uh, this is early days for this kind of direct to digital stuff. But um, an interesting start, and certainly something to keep an eye on. Um, but back to the, the streaming world, we finally got a launch date for HBO Max, um, May 27. Oh. Um, now... I have been uh, looking desperately. Is this just the States? I would I say so, yeah. about Australia. Yeah, because Stan has been a, in a bidding war with, um, with uh, Foxtel, I think, this whole year to try and get the rights to HBO properties. So I think that if anything, that'll delay this HBO Max thing for us for a while. But um, you know, VPN will fix that easily enough. Um, so on, on one hand, this could certainly be seen as you know another um, streamer just entering the kind of already starting to get flooded market. But um, I really think HBO Max could be a, a pretty decent contender uh, because just a quick rundown of what what we're looking at here. Obviously, it's in the title HBO, which is one of the biggest libraries of the best collection of television ever made. Um, I don't think you could hmm. compare any single collection of uh, like TV output to what HBO has. Um, but of course, this is a, a Warner Brothers company. So this has got all of the Warner Brothers stuff as well, all of DC, um, all of uh, Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, which uh, that in particular gets me very excited. So that's uh, Rick and Morty, which is a pretty major uh, currency wow. nowadays. Okay. Um, but yeah, so this is Warner Brothers, New Line Cinema. Um, that is a big collection in and of itself. So this... We'll presumably so this will contain... have, have Cartoon Network and I can go watch like Powerpuff Girls and <laughs> Dexter's Lab. Sure, I guess so. Um, but this will also presumably, there were rumors of this, but I, it surely will consume the DC Universe streaming service as well because it's got all the DC stuff. Um, I know um, uh, a couple of their shows that were direct to that will be renewed on, on HBO Max. So that's a, a pretty cool library right there. Even if you're talking just HBO, I think once this kind of gets available in Australia, getting that out of the claws of, of Foxtel um, will be very enticing for a lot of people. I'm in, man. Like I'm getting this day one. This launches in Australia. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. I'm, 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 trying, I'm trying Amazon Prime trying. and um, Stan right now and I'm underwhelmed to mm. – I'm just – nah. Because of the content I, I or because love, of the um... – it's not the UI corner, that's just you. Just everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love Amazon Prime just because how cheap it is. It's an experience. You know, when I open my streaming service, I want it to like, I'm, I'm in a world, you know. Take me, take me with you on this journey. And like, well, Disney Plus it doesn't have that. Job on that one. Disney Plus had the theater, man. It, it's, it's well presented. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's Fuck all in it, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> the Vader saga, you know, it's like, what was it? It's like the Star Wars movies and it's like all the Star Wars movies. And then it's like the Vader saga and it's like every Star Wars movie and Rogue One. That honestly, all, all the, all, all the nine like, movies and Rogue One. I'm like, guys, like, you can only group them up so many times. Like animated, like live Wars, action, like, like fair yeah, enough. And then but, like, <laughs> but then they would like, do it like, like you'd see the same title in three different lists right next to each other, and you're like, the fuck? Like you just clearly don't have enough to make yeah. this many lists. I think more than anything, my anxiety that I don't have access to watch Watchmen, the TV <clears throat> series. Like even though I'm not going to watch it, the fact that I can't watch it right now, 
<laughs> gives me anxiety. So, um, well, that's what such a leg up for this platform is: yeah. is that most people, especially people our age in Australia, have no interest in signing up for Foxtel. Um, uh, that being said, this one does look like it's going to have a pretty steep price. It's fourteen ninety five USD, Ooh. so that is more expensive than anything we'd currently be signed up to now. I would say it's that that HBO premium pricing. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Finally, I mean, a premium honestly, pricing a streaming <laughs> streaming service. I've been waiting a, two years for this yeah. shit. If there is a, any streaming service that that you know, I think, let's say, deserves to have a premium put on it, it's probably HBO. The DC Not Universe. TV, the DC yeah, Universe. What's right that? Off, the premium pricing of the DC Universe. I, yeah. I I honestly don't know how you thought that that was going to happen. <laughs> what? What just happened? Um, I was just, I was just shit came know, full remember, circle. Remembering that and wondering how you ever thought that the DC it happened, man. was going to be like twenty five dollars. What's on? This is going to be twenty two bucks. And what's on it? The DC Universe, baby. Premium pricing, premium pricing, baby. The chips fall where they fall, my friend. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, my streaming bill is pretty premium. If you just add up everything <laughs> and then like, look at it, look at this premium pricing for all this content. <laughs> uh, Good stuff. Out. Oh, well, um, HBO Max. Honestly, Foxtel can go fuck itself. And, and, and everyone, yes, trend res the fans out there, go listen to this great interview. Um, this Aussie guy, he's called Gold Baby or something. He did an interview with Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Have Trent Reznor looks like he's, ra- he's aged 10 years. Um, so it's awesome. What do you, you say, to his new album? I, I, I need to check it out. I need to check it out. It's yeah. an instrumental. Yeah. Is it, sorry, was it that Resna new album? Yeah. So it's Ghost. No, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's Ghost 6, isn't it? Ghost 5 and right. 6. Yeah. I've only heard amazing things. So I'm, I'm more of a song um, Nine Inch Nails guy. More like I need the vocals and stuff. Like I like ghosts. I chuck them on. I, but you know, yeah, I'm not just like I'm dying for it. You know, I'll put it on when I need to. You know, so don't push it. All right. One of his ghost songs is like the most successful song of all time because um, it was the basis for Old Town Road, which uh, I could not believe when I found out. Yeah, I heard about that um, as well. <laughs> very cool. Um, all right, we're kind of done with the, the streaming world for now. Back to actual movies. Actually, um, before Blind, we jump onto that, okay, yep. um, I was just reading an article that, that said that Stan and Foxtel are bidding for HBO shows. That's what Benny so said. I literally said that in the last story. Benny, Benny did you really? That. Yeah. How did I Absolutely. Clean out Because you're looking at that story, evidently. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> Sorry, guys. He's got <laughs> the knowledge, right. bro. Don't worry. <laughs> I don't even have a phone or a computer on me, so... Um, Alrighty, next up, uh, revisiting something we mentioned before, Lionsgate is moving forward with a Hunger Games prequel, uh, the very Game of Thrones sounding, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Um, the director, Francis Lawrence, is returning from the, um, the back three of the previous four movies. Uh, and apparently it's going to be a story about Donald Sutherland's um, President Snow character from those movies, um, set during the 10th Hunger Games, I believe. Um, where do you guys sit with this franchise? Because it, it feels like a real flash in the pan. It was one of the biggest things in the world for a couple of years there and then really petered out, uh, no pun intended. I, I was... Um, Can you guys hear that? I was... What? What? Fantastic what? Beasts. Fantastic right. Beasts. This sounds like fucking Fantastic Beasts. Sounds like the same um, old shit. Yeah. 
that was was take true. that yeah yeah, yeah. See? can you handle what, that journey huh yeah, okay um what a journey i, I kind of i i the first one was was decent like it wasn't anything that i thought you know deserved any oscars or anything like that but it, you know it wasn't bad uh the second one i was actually quite surprisingly on board with like i thought that was pretty cool um same uh i can't exactly remember why <laughs> uh but I just, i'm the I same just i'm exactly the same as well i i thought the first one was kind of kind of like trash that. Um, and um, I think a part of that might have been my snooty anti-young adults phase. You know, we're all coming out of that, yeah. that Twilight era. Um, but then the, the second one came along directed by Francis Lawrence, who I, I, I love, love, love his film Constantine. I think he's a very talented director. Uh, and it was kind of like a remake of the first one, but I thought it was a lot better. Yeah, yeah it was like it, round it, two. It didn't pull any punches either. Like I, mm. I just remember it being a little bit more brutal and a little bit more like, oh, fuck, all right, here we go. But um, I think that, uh, number three, and I don't think I actually even watched number four. Just kind of again, just fell a little bit short of the mark. It, I didn't have enough interest. I also remember like the public sentiment was like, "We don't give a fuck." When mm. three and four came out, they're like, "Eh, whatever." Yeah, um, yeah really. I don't think that. I think that from for me, the the world has a really interesting concept. It has really like the theory behind it, like I imagine the book would have been really good um, had I ever read it, but the way that the story was presented, I just kind of felt a bit like, I don't really care. Yeah. I mean, the reason why I bring up Fantastic Beasts is this just stinks of that. Uh, let's go back in time and look at, look at Dumbledore when he was young and find out it's the same old shit. And we're going to get a very similar product. I think to your point, Connor, this franchise has gassed out and and it will make a solid I mean, return it won't that... it won't it may not make it might not be a bomb i think hunger game still has decent brand equity but is it, it is it going to be I, I don't think it was a How bomb but it, i think it was like 300 million or something i don't think it did very well um but it wasn't it wasn't like it lost money it was like okay that was a solid little return with a little bit of profit i think it um, was coming up against like um, Star Wars kind of returning as well, oh, so that was Jesus, not helpful. Can you imagine? Yeah, so you know, I, I just I think it, there's, there's potential for like a, you know a, a tighter budget on this, maybe forty million, and it can bring in 150, 200. But like to be at that level that it was eight years ago or whatever when number two came out, you're dreaming. Yeah, if they played safe like that, George, which is no way they're going to um, do, they could have something on their hands, but. Um, I think the idea of them trying to sell a Hunger Games movie without, you know, Katniss Everdeen on the poster is not going to happen. I honestly, I, I think it's really different than than um, uh, Fantastic Beasts in that Harry Potter was a phenomena, and it was a phenomena from beginning to end, right? Like that was a really strong brand and a um, and a really interesting world to boot. And you know, whether you enjoy those films or whether you don't enjoy those films. It has to be said that, you know, there was at least from an equity point of view, or like from a from a um, you know brand point of view, that made it that made a lot of sense. Um, if you're talking this again, I just don't see it as being like I don't understand. Like I, I'm looking at the um, let's have a look here um, at the let's just look at domestic gross. Oh yeah, comparatively, the Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part Two bombed. Like first one was four hundred, second one was four twenty four. Then three was three thirty seven, and then the last one was two eighty one. 
Mm. I mean, fuck me, that's like... There's no no doubt, like, Hunger Games is not at the same level as Harry Potter and never will be, you know. There's no doubt about that. But I think the comparison I'm making here is, like, old dude, part of a big infrastructure... Let's go back in time to when he was young, in his mid-20s, in his early 30s, and let's explore that path. You know, it's the same. It's, it's the same. And that's exactly what they did in, um, and what they're doing in Fantastic Beasts with Dumbledore. Um, you know, and now the next movie is supposedly going to focus even more on Dumbledore. So, you Not know, it's the same. bringing back the same director from the previous And that's David Yates came back. It's the same. It's, the, mean, it's mm-hmm. very, very similar. I hate to harp on this, but I find there to be so much difference because like if you look at the books and you look at like what they left out of the original trilogy, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to explore. And I was actually thinking about this the other day. Um, in why like I was being overly optimistic about the the Dumbledore series or the um um Redmond series, whatever the Fantastic Beasts. Um, I was being overly optimistic because I was thinking to myself, one of the things that they missed in those last two films of the Harry Potter series was that exploration of Dumbledore's past. That was a massive part of the books. And it's one of the things that made, for me, that character one of my favorite literary characters. Like, I just, I absolutely love that. Um, and they completely missed that in the films. So this is kind of an opportunity for them to potentially rectify that, to kind of explore that story that they missed out on the other movies. Um, and, and then obviously add a, little, add a little bit here and there. I can't guarantee that it'll, it'll, there'll be good movies, but the concept, I think, is there. History tells us that. no. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean, else the next Fantastic Beasts movie has in its favor? Um, it's starring Johnny Depp and Ezra Miller. So that'll be some fun PR for them. Ooh. Damn. Uh, Johnny, Johnny Depp's done a, done a number on his image, though. He's, he's oh, I'm of... sure that'll work for his, his global public image, sure. <laughs> did, I mean, you, did you see any reporting about that stuff that happened with yeah. um, the, the recent stuff, though? It was, like, barely talked yeah. about. I didn't think anyone wanted to eat their words or, or show some nuance in the conversation at it, all. I mean, it certainly wasn't as big as the initial reports where, you know... Exactly. Like, his, his reputation is tarnished for life. Yeah. You can't watch that off. He's, he's kind of the, you know, for better or for worse, and I probably it's probably for worse, he's kind of become the poster boy for, see, I told you, um, by, you know, <laughs> trolls on the internet all around, which is kind of... <laughs> Really yeah, definitely not helping. <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, anyway, I refuse to talk about um, Fantastic Beasts anymore. Um, let it be Cole. stricken from the <laughs> yeah. record. Um, so we'll see how this goes. Into it. <laughs> straight to straight like, to I, video. I don't even really it's love like a, that series. I just get no, really annoyed no by how much you no, hate it. It's, <laughs> it's just so unjustified. <laughs> no more. Let's let's not get into it. Let's, let's talk, talk about, about some franchise now. Yeah, the um the Sony universe of Marvel characters, the Sump. Um. Venom has got an official title, Venom 2, Venom, <clears throat> Let There Be Carnage. Um, the, the big reaction on the internet was uh, Maximum Carnage. The title of the most famous Carnage story was right there. Why didn't they take that? But uh, there it is, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. I love it. I imagine that one of the reasons <laughs> they didn't do that is that they would, if they used the title from that particular story, then they would have to adhere more to that story or people would expect no, them they to. they wouldn't. Have you seen an MCU film? They all take big comic That's book my art point. stories. They don't, they don't adhere to them at all. I suppose Civil they, Wars. They're, they're in name only. Mm-hmm. I think this is great. I think it leans into the, the Venom brand uh, and, and it's, it's perfect to me. It seems so fitting. Just Venom 2, boring as batshit, doesn't feel like anything. Mm. Um, I can understand people don't like it. Maybe it's a bit cheesy. Maybe it's a bit too kiddie. 
Um, but I, I, I think I think it's cool. It's different. It's unique. It stands out. Um, yeah. Are we, are we reading different titles? It's a but like <laughs> what, what, <laughs> how what? unique is it? Let there be carnage. I mean, it's not what, just a number. What what what, I mean, what sort it, of it's, um it's what sort of what have we? Can you give me an example of a similar comic book movie title? Uh, what do you mean? Like so in in like so it's not like um you know um Thor Ragnarok you know it's it's not like a single word it's not like Civil War you know it's almost like it's got a like phrase element to it <laughs> you know it's, it's got a phrase Origins. to it. Like, can you name any other? Because I can't think of any. I mean, off the top of my head, not particularly. I mean, I just yeah, like, like it, exactly, it's just to like... <laughs> exactly to my point. Exactly to my point. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he, you've you've outlined name some one. very specific ways that I have name to one. like find a title for that because it's because that's what I'm referring to it's about ter- the, the title, dude. <laughs> I mean, like if something if, if, if give it the praise of like so it's unique, it's fresh, or something like that. I kind of expect it to be something that's going to like blow me out of the blow me out of my seat maybe it's just that i have a negative connotation with this series um i i have no i guess are you naming the title or not (laughs) (laughs) i'm not gonna think about comic book movies that happen to fit the exact like sentence structure that you want you brought it up you brought it up up, Um, dude you brought it up man spider-man far from home also a sony Mm. property Go fuck yeah okay yeah that i'd say that's pretty i'd say that's got a similar element to it I'd say, so meaning, I'd say homecoming doesn't. I'd say homecoming doesn't. Anyway, you, um, you go the ahead, other part of this, The other uh, part no, of this news, say, of course, oh, yeah, inevitably ahead. was that the, the film is delayed like every other film under the sun yeah. right now. Which, um, so I, I do have an honest question. Do you guys think that this will be a good movie? Like, do you, do you think you'll enjoy it? Sorry, I, think you're, I think you're going to hate it, man. I think you're, well, this I'm is going to tear your, tear your hair out. It, yeah. Yeah, I there's there's little hope for me, which actually probably puts me in a better position than either of you because if it's like if it's half decent, I'll fucking love it. Um, I reckon one scenario could be you actually do like it, and then you go back to Venom One, and you're like, oh, that is actually cool. Uh, I can definitely see you doing that. Highly doubt that. I can definitely see that happening. I also I've also made my position very clear on Venom, and it would be. I He's dug in too deep, now. and to flip flops <laughs> would be to show weakness. It's okay, you can change which, your mind. It's fine. Which is the person of North American um, descent, he cannot do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, um, I'm, I'm really keen to see this. I don't know. I can't say if it'll be a good movie or not. I'm very excited to see what Andy Serkis' interest in the franchise is as the director. Um, and, mm-hmm. yeah, as, as we've said in the, I think, one or two times I've, I've seen Venom, um, back when I was in cinemas, I really enjoyed it. Um, whether that was the movie's intentionality or not at various points it can go either way but um yeah i i'm very keen to see what they're going to do with this one yeah enjoy you on board you think it'll be good yeah dude i i'm i'm excited i think uh hopefully they even dial it in even more you know they've got a good they've you know they they made some mistakes in the first one and hopefully they fine-tune it I mean, I, look. I think that there's the like the the ability is there. Like the, um, you know, I think we all agree. There's a lot of stuff that they did right in the first one. Um, Maybe me and Benny agree that. No, I've, I've, I've never. I you have keep never changing your mind on this did. Venom topic, no, man. I'm getting you, confused you back, with your stance. You go back to any time that I've talked about Venom. Like I'll say, like getting Tom confused. Hardy is really great in it. 
Um, there are there are really good elements to it. I liked the kind of the humor of it, but you know, I think they just did more wrong than they did right. Like that's so. I think there, there's op- there's options there. there. You know, if they actually I don't know get someone to write a decent story and a decent villain and 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 all that, then you know I'm on board. Well, they've already improved um, Woody Harrelson's wig from the first one. I think we've seen a couple of pictures. He doesn't have that ridiculous Thank dead Christ. animal on his head anymore. Mm. Man, that was heinous. That was carnage, all right. You're going to wear a... We're going to buy you one of those for the for the review, Connor. You're going to wear... <laughs> one of those wigs. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Any more on Venom and this amazing title? <laughs> yeah, this really unique, vibrant, catchy title. I can't wait. You're going to be listing me out 20 titles like this <laughs> for next week's episode. I'm just going to get texts on the group. And if you do not, I'm, I'm like, coming for you. Coronavirus <laughs> or nothing. <laughs> I can bring it on. Like, How I want you, you to list them off 1997. Directed by. Um, all right, guys. So we've been kind of doing this little series of uh, films where we sort of... Spider-Man, be- Into the Spider-Verse. That's a good oh, one. Keep going, sorry. Yeah, no, that's great. Add that to your list. So you've got 18 more to get. They're all Spider-Man You've got 18 more to get. X-Men, Days of Future Past. No, nah, no, nah, that does not count. What do you mean no? No, let that be carnage. It's got, it's got like... It's the, 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 the thing that's universal. No, no, no. Days of Future Past has got, it's like, it, that, that, that's, no, 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 no. Let There Be Carnage has like a phrasing to it. Like, let there be carnage. Like, it's like, it's got a, um, a wrestling element. A wrestling, yeah. It reminds guidelines. me of wrestling. That's, I think that's exactly what I'm alluding to here. It reminds me of wrestling. Right. So you want Days of Future Past. Like, you're, you're not, you're not going to say that it's got like, uh, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like the phrasing element of it. I can't, I can't describe it. I can't describe, um, obviously, because Connor keeps laughing at me and he's being an ass. Um, but um, yeah, you know, I'm like, I just you. think I'm with you. you're not laughing with me. I'm not laughing with you. Um, you can fuck yourself, you little fuck stain. <laughs> um, but let's, let's get on to the real good stuff here on this sophisticated movie podcast uh, where we talk about Chris Nolan. So um, I, I actually only got to watch um, two of his films this week, um, but we all uh, chucked on a few. I don't know, Benny, do you want to kick things off here? Because you were mess- messaging us in the chat and it seemed like you were having a ball. Uh, on and off, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, we should start probably by just talking about the, the man himself, Christopher Nolan. I mean, this is a guy who, who blew onto the scene. Um, everyone kind of has a different start point with him, I would say. Um, I think my the first film of his I saw was probably The Prestige because I never nice. saw Batman Begins in theaters. Um, oh, and didn't. I remember, no, no, that, that movie was a real sleeper. Um, um, and I remember kind of seeing this really, it felt different, you know, it felt like, you know, I was quite young at the time, but it felt mature and grown up. Like, a, like this movie kind of not based on anything that had fantastical elements to it um, that was just incredibly you know, it had a, a really interesting kind of mystery going on in it, um, all kind of hallmarks of his films. And then as he kind of started hitting it big with his Batman movies and uh, especially Inception, um, his name just became synonymous with, I think, like cinematic quality, like mm. grown-up films, even if he's making a goddamn Batman movie. Um, and then I would say in in more recent years after we'd all fallen in love with him, 
um, a lot of us had to unfortunately sort of fall a little bit out of love with him um, and see that uh, he was not God, in fact, but just a man, um, <laughs> which was a real bummer, I think, for a lot of us. Um, Georgie, we had a, a, a review show years ago back when um, The Dark Knight Rises came out. Um, that was one of the one of the few shows we actually reviewed back then. Uh, one of the few movies we reviewed back then. Mm. Um, and Good I, times. I remember that. I remember that. Good times. No, don't look it up. And having a, having a think uh, <laughs> having to think of Nolan in that way. That was that was tough times. Um, so yeah, I wanted to kind of reassess where or how I felt about this guy by by picking a few movies. Um, the first one I decided to watch was um, uh, Inception, because where else are you going to start? But what is probably his biggest kind of his most him movie i feel in a lot of ways i mean this is the the, the goddamn reason we I'll jump on trailers going wow yeah and i've been meaning to watch this um all through this this quarantine actually i think that's what <clears> kicked <throat> off this this topic um and man what uh what a fantastic film this is going to be here the film that he's known for i i feel like yeah. and and this for as, me as is his should. best film I, I truly, this film, I didn't get to watch it this week, unfortunately, but um, you guys tell me it, it is one of those films that in my mind stays so cutting edge while still having that analog tendencies um, to give it that timeless feel. So um, I think this of, is not going to age. It's going to be like the Kubrickian, it doesn't yeah. age. Well, the, it, it kind of is a perfect example of all his different kind of techniques and skills. And I, I was listening to um, an interview that he did and where he talks about the main components of his filmmaking. And one of the things being, uh, do as much as I can in camera. And he, he didn't, um, you know, negate the need for special effects or, or for um, digital effects. Um, but he said that uh, there's a certain kind of, there's something that you get when you have something right in front of you. <clears throat> and, you know, if you look at something like, you know, um, any of his films really, but Inception, it's like some of that stuff is just, it, it almost beggars belief. Like it, it doesn't look like it should be able to be in camera, but it looks so good and it has to be in camera. And then and, and that obviously how he, you know, filmed it, particularly that, you know, the hallway scene in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and from that to, to his music, I mean, if you look at some of his older stuff, it's really good, but the this was, I think his kind of, his best or one, at least one of his best in terms of the music complementing the, the visuals. And then, and even on top of that, just the character and the writing like that, that that's something that you can rewatch 10 times and, and pick up on things and, and find something interesting in it. Like, it's just, I think it's what, it's probably one of my favorite films of all time. Yeah. And, and Hans Zimmer's work you just mentioned on this film makes it feel almost like an opera. Like I feel like you could watch this movie with a good sound system and just have the dialogue cut out and it would, be every bit as impactful, um, you know, as someone who's already seen the film. Um, just amazing stuff. And yeah, the what you're saying about him putting stuff in front of the camera, you know, on the day, that really does make all of the difference. Because you could have a well choreographed hallway fight scene that's, you know, got a bit more CG involved or something, you know, CG humans. And even if you couldn't notice it necessarily, you'd feel it. Um, yeah. and obviously you're watching a movie where it, it, nothing is real in this, like nothing happening in this movie is real, but, uh, it, it, it feels real. Something <laughs> so powerful about it. Yeah. And it, it's also one of his, his hallmarks in this is just a bunch of like really serious men standing around talking exposition for at least half of the movie, like all throughout, like so much of it. And it's just so engaging. 
his ability to make that work that well is, is he's a bit like Tarantino in that way. Like when he writes dialogue and he shoots dialogue, it's interesting. Like you don't care that you've just sat around and, and watched a scene that is just two people talking to each other, explaining what's going on. Yeah, like but it, it's, like, that was do you think he's like Tarantino? I disagree. No, there. It's, it's in unique that in the way that Tarantino uh, I don't know, Connor. So I'm going to call you up on that. <laughs> whereas he, this is really specifically <laughs> exposition, which mm. that is a really unique talent right there. I mean, yeah, he's a lot more it, technical uh, in his in his writing than Tarantino. Tarantino has like this oh, conversational yeah. flow to his, and it's got like I I feel like I'm watching a conversation on the street. While Nolan, it's like every piece of dialogue serves the story, and it's like no thing is out of place. There's yeah. there's no fluff, you know. While Tarantino, mm. there's like some things where you could say, yeah, that can totally get deleted, you know. But I mean, in the sense that like if you were, if you were to show me a scene where two people were just talking. Like if just dialogue, like I'm not saying their their dialogue is similar, Don't but in the sense that Silk on it's fine. But yeah, I think to the point, what I love about this film in particular is the sound aspect and how, you know, Nolan uses a gimmick in here with the, with the horns and that's become so, it's just become so ingrained in pop culture, especially around from mm. sort of 2010 to 2015, even that that those horns were were in every single trailer you would see, and 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 that really came organically through the story. Like the, this this song, you know, Nolan obviously came. They came up with this amazing concept of the the, the slow cellos and the slong slowing down and through the different dream sequences. And it, it's really just like quite an incredible concept that's sort of spiraled into this mm. insane pop culture reference. Um, quite interesting how those things, like you, you, nobody meant that to happen, you know, it just happened. Nobody meant it to go into the zeitgeist or no one. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, like they were just like trying to mean to design the sound like that. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he put some thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. They, Hans Zimmer. Like, well, exactly. Zimmer. They were trying to do that. They yeah. weren't trying to yeah. create uh, something that becomes part of. How could you yeah. even predict that? We're going to, mm. we're going to use a really big brass section. And you know what, in particular on our trailer, we're just going to like, boom, wah, 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 wah. like, and, and you know, for the next 10 years, trailers will copy us. That's the other thing about this movie that's so amazing and why it shouldn't exist is because, well, it, it shouldn't exist because, you know, Nolan just was coming off the incredible um, success of The Dark Knight, um, something they couldn't have necessarily predicted. That movie was lightning in a bottle um, due to obviously horrible circumstances, but that, that really helped propel it into just um, the zeitgeist, as we said. Um, and then I, I think it's... It, seems to be kind of just a well-accepted truth behind the scenes that he didn't really want to come back for another Batman movie, especially after Heath Ledger's death. Um, and uh, they were just kind of like, here is uh, all the money in the world for a third Batman movie. And he was just like, can I have a little more as well to make another big budget movie that's not based on Batman? And they're like, yes, whatever you want, just come and make this goddamn Batman movie. Um, so he got, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, whatever Top um, to make uh, something not based on anything, this complete unknown quantity that I don't, if you guys remember the trailers, none of us had any idea what this thing was until it was in cinemas, oh, yeah. uh, which was such an amazing feeling and, and a big part of why this caught on so much, I imagine. Mm. 
And it looks so incredible. Like oh, everyone was just chomping at the bit for this one. And and this is something that has occurred to me in revisiting a couple of his films. Um, I focused a little bit earlier on his in his career, but one other sort of franchise director, I, I, I don't know. I feel like Nolan has paced himself nicely through his career and he, you know, he could have maybe gone one, two, three, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, um, Dark Knight Rises, and then moved into his own projects. But, you know, each each one of those was bookended, um, or, or sorry, had a sandwich, uh, a film in between. There was The Prestige and there was Inception and he got to get his creative juices flowing, do his own thing and do something different. And I think that has been a testament to how much he is uh, an, a true artist in that he's got a, something in his gut that's telling him to do something and he's following that and and i think that I, that's what i love about this guy and, and say what you will yes some of his films are varying quality but i, I really find chris nolan a, quite an a, inspiring chap mm. Mm. I, I have to say that you know <sighs> My general thought, on, whenever anyone brings up kind of Chris Nolan, I kind of roll my eyes a bit because he's, because, you know, when, whenever the question is asked, oh, who should direct X or Y mm. or anything, people are like, oh, Chris Nolan. I'm like, ugh, nah. Like he's, he's just kind of become the every man's great director. Mm. Um, but I mean, when you watch he's stuff the like- He's the of, of, of directors <laughs> other than, <laughs> other than uh, Zack Snyder. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's dark and gritty. Serious, but every any time that you watch something like Inception, you're like, oh god! Like all the credit this guy gets, you see why? Because when mm-hmm. he's when he's firing on all cylinders, when he's not you know constrained by doing a movie that he doesn't want to do or anything like that, fuck, he's good. And even you know even for the movies that some people think are are you know bad or less good, I suppose there are always things in those films that that shine that are that are still really good. We'll get into that. Um, Georgie, what did you start up with? Uh, so I chucked on Chris Nolan's third feature, Insomnia, this week, a film that cool, I, I watched seen. This yesterday. Nice one. One I haven't seen in a long time, I'd say five plus years. Al Pacino, uh, Robin Williams, and Hilary Swank in here, uh, creating quite a dynamic uh, set of characters. Um, mm. What I really loved about rewatching this film, and, and this was definitely the most I've enjoyed this film. Um, in the past, I, I, I've appreciated it. I thought this is cool. You know, we're seeing Chris Nolan develop on a journey, but I've never really thought it was that strong of a piece. And this time, man, I really connected with Insomnia. Um, and, uh, and just these two, this, this two-hander of Al Pacino and Robin Williams playing off each other and the gray area, you know, it, it's, it's such a, it, it's, they, they, there's no, there's no polar opposites in terms of the, 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 the protagonist and, and the um, antagonist in this. Um, they have both have a dirty, um, you know, history and, and you're navigating this story and, and uh, the setting in Alaska is so beautiful. It's shot on 35 mil film and, and it really has, you know, it feels very timeless. You know, I think I can watch this film in a long time and I won't know, is this the nineties? Is this the eighties? Is mm. this, you know, I don't really know. So I, again, another timeless element of it. Um, I, I, I had a great time and I thought it was really interesting to see Robin Williams in this. Um, Benny, what, what were your initial thoughts on, on revisiting insomnia? Well, that's a, that's an interesting point you bring up about its timelessness. Cause it's the first time I've seen it. And this film is 18 years old at this point. 
Um, and to be fair, I was watching a really high quality version of it, like a Blu-ray copy. Um, but I, I just couldn't believe that this movie was shot in like 2002. Um, like a lot of films from that era have dated very badly, whether it be fashion or um, overreaching CGI. Um, but this movie, uh, this could be a, a modern movie, except that, well, <laughs> except for a couple of things. But um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, morbid. Um, but uh, yeah, well, what really stood out about it was just how handsomely uh, directed it was. It reminded me of the first time I saw a Villeneuve film, which was um, Prisoners, which is kind of a similar sort of procedural mystery kind of thing. Um, and, and just how like really wonderfully technically put together it was. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that, Ben, because whenever I think, whenever I, you know, watch a, um, a Nolan film or for that matter, a, you know, a Villeneuve film, that's the exact impression that I get. You know, I, I always feel that Villeneuve is kind of taking what I feel is the best of, of um, Nolan um mm-hmm. in in his work and and i think there's a lot of similarities when you look at some of these movies like the the use of score i think um both um villeneuve and nolan do a really good job of, of building up suspense and um and the visual excellence know. in the cinematography mm. and everything mm. all spot on mm. yeah. yeah so i i think that you know i mean for me um you know villeneuve is probably one of, if not my favorite director. Um, so, I mean, yeah. I think... Um, was, what I kind of went in a, a different direction with um, Insomnia was um, I, I found it to be a lot more narratively interesting than I expected, um, given what happens early on in the story um, mm. and the way that creates this relationship between Robin Williams and Al Pacino's characters. Um, that was really different than your kind of standard, you know, cops trying to solve a murder story. Um, but I, I, it didn't really jump out at me too much other than that. It reminds me of, of kind of how you described it, Georgie, your first few viewings. So maybe, um, maybe it'll grow better with time, but, um, just the, this film was a remake. I, I know I haven't seen the original, um, but I felt the, the insomnia, aspect of it you know the the whole title thing was not all like they didn't play it up as much as they could have maybe it was just sort of a thing that was happening to al pacino it wouldn't made it wouldn't made any difference i feel if it wasn't there Um, yeah maybe one crucial moment early on completely agree Mm. completely agree and then that was always something that felt a bit odd to me in the past but i i thought actually those scenes are cool there yeah I, I, I actually quite enjoyed those scenes where he's trying to cover up the, the window and, mm. and yeah, this, this situation a unfolding. More of, um, kind of cartoony Al Pacino though. Cause when the movie started, I was like, wow, he's not yelling at all. He's doing a really good performance. But then as it's getting on, he's turned into like a sleepy grandpa and snapping <laughs> at people. I'm like, okay, there's Al Pacino. There we go. You know, but he held it together quite well. I thought. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think the only thing about this film is maybe narratively unsatisfying in the end. I think, it kind of just ends, and I think the call. Oh and wow! Yeah. The, the yeah, I mean, it just ends, and it's like Chris. No, and then like the Radiohead song comes in, and it's like, what the fuck? Um, yeah, I literally I, said it, not in like a really bad way, but I literally, literally said, "Oh, is that it?" <laughs> like, not in the kind of way where you're like, "Is that it?" But I was like, "Oh shit!" I was expecting a little more of an epilogue there. Yeah, and I, I think that 
that was a testament to the fact that the narrative where it ends up isn't really that interesting. It's about mm. the sort of meat of the sort of first three quarters of this film with, with mm. these two characters kind of dancing around each other. Um, that's the interesting part of this film. And, and luckily it doesn't overstay its welcome. And it ends, it ends fine. It's fine, you know, but, but um, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to see Nolan kind of adapting another person's work and, and adding his own spin onto it and work up to a bigger budget from Memento. Uh, yeah, I, I really had a good time and I think this was the best viewing I've ever had of Insomnia. It's definitely just from a directing standpoint, really outstanding. The, the, the um, scene where of, he's going crazy yeah. in the in and he's look the fan is going and 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 all the sound effects going on in the office, you know mm. that that was really effectively directed. It's intense, and I, yeah. Awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, Connor, you watch another one? Um, yeah, I watched uh, Memento. Um, cool. I kind of, I you know, for me, this is his first film. Um, well, it isn't. You, you know, yeah, so. I know. I mean, that's why I said for me, it's his first one because I can't be bothered. What is his other ones? Following. Following. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Never seen it. I don't give a shit about it. Um, anyways, um, this is kind of, uh, this is by far, I think, his most unique and interesting film. Um, it's it's like watching, I, I, it, you can never recreate it. Right, like it's it's such a divisive gimmick, or not, uh, not a divisive, sorry, a decisive gimmick, right? Um, but it, it is so effective, and I don't know of any movie that has tried to do something quite like that while also maintaining some level of like cohesion. Like, there's lots of movies that go really kind of spectacularly all over the place, and they kind of play with linearity, and um, and and then they just become a jumbled mess. Whereas this one, for as much as it you know, moved around, it, it managed to keep your interest. Like you, there's some cohesion, like, mm. which I thought was just really um, spectacular. It's got so, a hell of a punchline too. <clears throat> yeah. And, and it, it kind of, it doesn't feel like gotcha, which some movies do. Like they're just, they're building up to have that twist. Whereas this mm. one felt really like it earned the twist. Mm. And um, it's really a hallmark of another one of, um, um, of Nolan's, no pun intended, tenets, but the the fact that the it feels like the movie would hold together really well were it not played backwards. Like if this was a straightforward movie, it'd probably be pretty decent still, um, and and yeah. very well made. And there's um, a version of that on the DVD, I believe, on one of the versions that got released very interesting a while to ago. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, but then with Nolan adding in this this playing with time that he loves to do um it it really turns it into something special and what a great like second feature uh for a director like what an amazing way to grab people's attention and say like you know this guy's arrived on the scene yeah what a great cast man like good uh, cast and and honestly it the thing that i'm really impressed with is the gimmick is not just a gimmick like there's a reason behind it like kind of going mm -hmm. to this guy's mind and trying to like decipher what's going on with no real context as to where he is or how he got there, that yeah. kind of stuff, I think is so fucking fascinating. And I think that, you know, I love it when everything kind of comes together like that. Again, like it's not just a gimmick for the sake of being gimmicky or, or pushing mm. the envelope. There's a reason behind it. Yeah, it really puts you into the character's shoes 
and you really are on this journey with Guy Pearce um, and, and that narrative technique or that editing technique that he uses is so powerful and really, really um, just discombobulating at the beginning and then you gradually kind of start getting into these cycles and you're like, oh, oh okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and with it ends and you sort of, oh, that meets back in that bit that previously happened. And, and, and um, yeah, I think that what's interesting about this is there's a really good um, uh, video of Chris Nolan on a chalkboard explaining um, how the, the mechanism works. A, yeah, yeah, as a horseshoe, a horseshoe. But it, he... Yeah. Um, he um, he wrote it, you know, supposedly how he said front to back, you know, he obviously devised this system that would maybe, um, you know, uh, lead to these results where you feel like you have memory loss. So you feel like Guy Pierce's character, but um, supposedly he said he, he wrote it top to bottom to get, because it does have a beginning, middle and an end in with that, strange out of loop time sequence so i wonder to your point benny would this still be as great a film if it was put in um the correct order i'd be so interested to see um you know what that experience would be like yeah i think it would have much less of a hook and less of a punch but um i think it would really hold together as a, a very clearly competently made film as well i think if that were the case we'd probably be talking about maybe insomnia more likely batman begins as his real first success um you know it wouldn't be the movie that has kind of or it wouldn't be viewed in the same way it is viewed now like it would be a good film and like you know it'd be one of those films that'd be like have you seen his earlier stuff it's you know it's pretty good actually and it was mm. really interesting to see where he got you know his start and all that whereas this one it's kind of like coming relatively close to out of the gate with this is fucking that's pretty damn impressive it's oh, got that incredible. perfect you want to tell your friends about it thing to it. Yeah, yeah. And I think I, I just, I love the concept of, of, of seeing the guy that did Inception having this be like, in terms of his, like his actual skill in creating a film is obviously really not as polished. Like it's, it's pre, you know, crisp Nolan. But just to see that kind of raw creativity um, <laughs> and raw storytelling. <laughs> What have, what have I said? Crisp Nolan. Like, yeah, I want that to be his name now. <laughs> yeah, wanted, directed little, by Crisp Nolan. This little chip <laughs> with Chris Nolan's face on it. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Can we please I mean, make that a true. meme? Yeah. <clears throat> Crispy Nolan. Nah, nah. Um, don't. It was, Crisp Nolan was so good, it. dude. <laughs> so that's, that's, my, that's my number two. Um, I guess we're on to... Well, Ben, you've already done... Your, Insomnia <clears throat> was your number two, right? Yeah. So is it up to me? Back to you, Jadge. Jadge? Jadge. <laughs> Jadge. So you first you to dis my, my opinions on the Venom title. Now you call me Jadge. This, this, yeah. It's yeah. an assault. There's two strikes down, you. dude. You, I, I can't even remember your name. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so been, I really want a lot of... Um, Sorry, can we be, before we go on? Well, I've been watching... No, nah, it's some of, shitty um, TV American show. No. Like, <laughs> come on, I hear Brian it every Callen. week, dude. You know, you know, Brian, yeah, you yeah. watch Fighter and the Kid. Yeah, he's funny. Um, and so much of what he does, I'm like, God, I do that. When he, he just talks utter shit. You can tell, like, no one believes this. Like, no one <laughs> could right. possibly Please stop this. listening to that podcast because it's encouraging like, you. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's basically me at 55. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, uh, Chris Nolan, um, 
Number three, I decided to put on, as I said, it's two, isn't it? No, because I only watched two. Unfortunately, oh, okay. so yeah, that's fine. Um, I uh, <laughs> I watched the Prestige, two thousand six oh, Prestige, nice. which I did see in cinema, and uh, what a really interesting piece to compare against Insomnia. Two characters again, head to head, dancing around each other, tr- uh, but in in and, and trying to one up each other, trying to stay one step ahead of each other. There's quite a lot of parallels between these two films but um the prestige is is on paper you know you show somebody you know maybe a poster or or, or a screenshot of the prestige or a period piece uh like magicians uh, this, this isn't a period <laughs> piece this this could have been said in any time you know what's happening here is the equivalent of what's going on with netflix this is this is a tale of people at the cutting edge of of trying to push uh, a medium forward and you have uh Hugh Jackman and um, and uh, Christian Bale trying to find this most amazing trick, try, trying to become part of pop culture, and everyone's talking about trying to get that glory on stage, and and the 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 you know they or they keep talking about getting their hands dirty, and that's what this movie's about. It's it's the tragedy of the pursuit of, of success. You know, it's it's a tale. I was thinking about Steve Jobs when I was watching this. You know, somebody you have to abandon your friends, you have to abandon your family, you have to do everything you can to try and get what you need, even self-inflict wounds upon yourself. Um, and mm. it's just, it's an incredible film. And I, I think this, you know, was, again, I've, I love this film. I really love this film. But again, I had such a good time watching this. I think this could have been the best viewing I've seen of it as well. I, I think it's really interesting you mentioned that because so many of his films feature that, that concept of obsession and like the psychology of obsession um, and, you know, kind of what we are willing to do um, you know, not, not only to others, but what we're willing to do to ourselves in order to kind of pursue um, our obsessions. I mean, if you, if you apply that to any number of his films, it's, um, it's a central theme in what he looks at. And I, I think that's really cool that, that he does that, that he has those central themes and, and things that he presents in most, if not all of his work. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think that that's kind of his like a little calling card. Like it has to do with time and it has to do, or it has to do with obsession. And, you know, like with, with the prestige, you know, you're getting this Nolan that's kind of, he's got Batman Begins under his belt. You know, he's had a bit of success there and everyone's kind of talking about the gritty superhero thing, which is propelling this whole new wave of the genre forward. And, and this guy's gone ahead and done a period piece about magic. Like this is a ballsy move, man. And, and mm. you know, maybe in today's landscape, something that, you know, you wouldn't see a lot of, you know, you're not going to go see JJ, you know, jump from Star Wars into something like this. You know, I, I, it's it's very, very interesting to see that kind of decision making. One of the things that really stood out about this piece as well, and, and alluding to kind of what I was saying before about Memento writing this film front to back, is this film jumps around in time so much, but mm. it does it so better than any film I've seen before, I believe, because... It doesn't feel jarring. It naturally flows. These these little hooks and these little reveals that happen along the way, revealing this mystery, you know, especially with these two guys reading their diaries, um, recounting um, events. This is so sophisticatedly done. 
And um, it, it couldn't have been written any other way, I don't believe, because if you tried to write these sort of these different timelines, you'd like, I'm going to take this bit from there and that, you know, you, I think it, it would have gone too complicated. And, and this, it's just, I'm just in awe of this film, if you can't tell. I, I think, I think it's, it's just a, a masterpiece. I was saying, really, as I mentioned, this was the first of his that I'd seen. I saw this in cinemas. Um, I also saw in cinemas that year, The Illusionist, the Edward Norton magician film. Um, which is not nearly on the little, same level. No, I, I, I chose very clearly that year which director I wanted yeah. to follow. I remember, um, I, the, the I saw it in cinemas as well. I did exactly the same thing, man. And I remember being a kid being like, that was not nearly as good as The Prestige. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of having such similar movies to compare in certain aspects at that age kind of made you realize, you know, there are good and bad movies mm. to a degree. <laughs> um, like there can be a stark difference. Um, and yeah, uh, this, this is the one that blew me away. I, I, um, can go back and forth, but I think this might still be my favorite of his. I think it could definitely be my favorite of his. And I love the, what's really cool about this film. And I think may, hmm, maybe not. Um, but I think like Nolan deals so much in reality and this film is, is actually has a science fiction element to it hmm. that is so appealing to me and adds, adds an amazing edge edge to it i say it's not a period piece this is this is uh this feels like a, a mystery it feels like a drama um it feels like a suspense thriller um you know and, and what an amazing cast just just overall uh, incredible incredible so uh those were my two ends and, and and you know as i said interesting to see the parallels between these two mm. pieces in the characters um to your point, Connor, I mean, like very much realized, yeah. you know, how much Nolan, you know, how much Nolan is, is, is in control of his work and he's really painting a canvas of himself in all of these films. He's, mm. and you can see that thread in there and it's so satisfying. Mm. Um, I know I, me I mentioned before that I compare him a lot to Villeneuve. Um, and uh, I mean, I think that one of the things I find interesting about Nolan, um, I do love that he has like, a way of going about things that he has themes and all that. Um, but one of the things I really like that, that Villeneuve does that, or Villeneuve does that Nolan doesn't is that he can kind of reinvent himself in a film. Um, you know, as much as I love Nolan films. What are we talking um, about here, man? <laughs> we chose the director for the uh, segment. Yeah. You yeah, got to so, stick to so, that director. Thank you very I'll much. Fine. I'll, just, I'll, I'll talk about it in, in the terms of Nolan with Nolan. I feel like, no matter what, I know kind of what I'm going to get. And that in and of itself is a little disappointing. You knew what you, you were going to get with Dunkirk. What's Tenet going to be about? I, Tell yeah, us the plot come of Tenet on, right mate. now. I, I, come I, on, bro. I, I, get it's, off it. It's not going to... No, no, no. I'm not saying that I can tell you what the plot is. But in terms of those themes, like you kind of know... There, there's such a... a, a like a, a, a Nolan-esque piece. Like if you watch a, a Nolan film, you're like, oh... Nolan like you you feel it like and 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 you know part of that has to do with the quality of his craft I'm so not you know that it's going to feel like a Nolan film is what you're saying fucking <laughs> <laughs> stop busting my balls <laughs> <laughs> I got it bro I got it's it bro point. it's valid point I got it bro um 
But uh, yeah, all I'll say is to your point is that, you know, Nolan does write his scripts. So, you know, he does have that 360 control of, of the narrative whilst Villeneuve is using, you know, different people's scripts and he's really more of a true director. It seems like Nolan's more, he's like a producer director. Yeah. He's, he's like got the everything. in his head and he's like, I need it to get from here and I need to have it there now. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, I'm not saying that to shit on Nolan. I'm just saying that like, I, I, I'm just curious to see what would happen if he, I mean, there are examples of where he does branch out and he's really good at it, but I almost want more variety in his work. Cause if you look at Tennant and even Dunkirk, like there's the concepts of time, um, very similar in, in the, the time themes throughout the, I mean, this kind of, uh, I, I might as well jump ahead because do we finish with your, with your picks, George? Yeah. Is it Ben next? Gonna, oh, we can go Ben next. But I was just going to say, there's lots of really like connecting themes throughout all of them. Um, yeah, you can go ahead, Ben. I'm all over the place. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's, go, off, let's go. Let's go to where the um, to the love affair started showing some some major cracks. Um, I decided to check on the uh, the Dark Knight Rises, a film which I have not seen since I saw it in cinemas, maybe a second time. Um, and I was really interested to watch this movie again because I thought all these years later, after all of this talking about it, arguing about it, um, to watch it again with the, the weight of expectation completely removed from the film that followed The Dark Knight, um, you know, often cited as the greatest comic book superhero movie ever made. Um, I, I thought I would probably enjoy it a lot more. And a funny thing happened. I liked it a lot less than the other times I'd seen it. <laughs> I really, I so see this happening. really <laughs> disliked this movie um, on this viewing. Uh, um, I, I think it is, is such a mess. And just as I kind of alluded to earlier, feels like a film that he did not have interest in making. Um, were there parts I, that you liked? Like were there things about it that not, you enjoyed? Not sincerely. No, I find <clears throat> Bane to be so hilarious after all these years of quoting his funny little voice and lines. Um, I really enjoy the him. The first scene is cool. That's the only good oh, part of this. It's amazing. It's amazing. That's the only um, good part of this film. And Christian Bale, honestly, I can't handle his Batman voice anymore. And maybe that's just Pete Holmes's uh, Batman videos. It's probably a big so part of funny. it. But I think he's so ridiculous um, to the point where I'd be worried about going back and watching the other two as well because just the look on his face and that stupid voice, I don't know if I can handle it. I, I actually found him worse than, um, than Bane in this one. Um, but yeah, this movie's just such a mess, uh, tonally, narratively. Um, it it um, makes so little sense. Makes so little sense. It's hard to know what they were even going for. It's it's campy but super self serious at the same time. Um, I it was just bewildering. Not in the same way that the first time I saw it was, which is like pulling my hair out. Like, what is happening with this movie? How how could this have happened to Nolan? Um, just in a in a weirdly low key disappointment of, of watching a movie you thought you might yeah. like a little more this time <laughs> you've almost set yourself up for failure because you're mm. like you're kind of low-key being like oh, i'll enjoy it more because you know mm. i don't i don't expect anything and thereby giving some level of expectation well all of the parts that i have come to kind of like about it over the years not as in a good film kind of way just you know i enjoy quoting bane and you know the, the some funny stuff in it I forgot just how fucking long it is and how much other stuff there is in it that I had to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I'll say it's quite watchable. It For a two-hour, 45-minute movie, Jesus. I don't think it drags on too bad. 
Um, but at the same time, I think it has 21 minutes of Batman in it, uh, which is amazing. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I really, really do not like this film, and it makes me judge Nolan as a director. It makes me judge is, his other films a little bit. <laughs> is the there's a couple of scenes that I remember being good, and some things that I remember being really bad. Like one mm. of them was the um, the bike chase scene, um, where you know. I think he's in the tunnel and he's weaving through. And I actually really enjoyed that. Just like the, okay. the music. So you know, you know what's really funny about that scene? You know what has it in common with another really good movie being Hobbs and Shaw is they both have this scene where they specifically um, state an amount of time that they have for something. In both cases, like eight minutes, ten minutes, whatever. And then within that time frame, like that they lay out for you, you go completely from day to night. Um, I think it's the other way around, oh, maybe really? in Hobbs and Shaw, but you go completely in that within less than 10 minutes that they say it is. Um, yeah. in, in The Dark Knight Rises, it's really startling. And I hate to like nitpick the movie this much because there is so much more broadly wrong with it. But in that tunnel scene, he goes in the tunnel and it is day when he's leaving that Wall Street sort of area. And it is the dead of night oh, when he comes out the other end. It is so baffling. It's so weird. For a director who is so heavily based, based in precision, and, you know, putting things in front of the camera because he has such a clear idea of the film before he ever has to film it. Um, it it's really weird. But that's probably what it's- happened with Nolan is he was like, it was shot, that's what it looked like on the day and that's what's going to be in the edit. You know, like may, maybe somebody would have said, hey, Chris, you know, let's let's nudge this down. Let's, you know, let's do some visual effects and make this look like nighttime. Because, you know, when you do see those uh, those shots at nighttime, especially um, in, in helicopter shots, those are often shot in day and then post-production graded down to look like night. Um, but, but, you know, maybe Nolan's sense. like, no. Nah. I would say he, if he was making a good film, right then he, sure, maybe people wouldn't have noticed. But because uh. <laughs> it's right after he robs the stock, robs the stock exchange, right? Yeah. Training doesn't end until <laughs> or something. So what does he just like sat around for four hours and be like, oh, yeah. it's getting dark, we better go. But then that's that's what I said. You know, they specifically say eight minutes. There's a, a counter timing, yeah. the timer counting down during yeah, the scene. It's so weird. Dumb. I uh, really don't really want to watch that movie again. Yeah, I yeah, don't know do why I, I did it. I'm never watching I have it again. Zero, zero desire to to return to that. Did it make Which, you want to return back to Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, Benny? Um, not really. No, I I still think they're probably really great. Um, I don't like Christian Bale that much as Batman. Um, and in a Batman movie, that's kind of a big deal. I guess I'm so hyped up on Robert Pattinson in the Batman, which you know could go any which way. But I I really I man I hate hate that bat suit in The Dark Knight Rises. I've never hated it this much before. I've had my problems with it, but looking at it this time, it's just like this weird tactical oh, I can't remember it. Robocop reboot every other fucking military-grade suit that everyone has. Um, after being spoiled so much by the MCU all these years and their, their amazing costumes, amazing and like really faithful kind of costumes, they really capture the spirit of these characters. Um, just looking at this nothing suit that just happens to have pointy ears, I'm like, I fucking hate that. <laughs> um, I've got a question for you. Was all the Catwoman stuff as bad as I remember? I didn't like it, no. Because um, like I said about there being all these campy elements, like um, Anne Hathaway was quite over the top in this movie, but it doesn't, it doesn't really suit the, the super serious, you know, gritty Chicago Gotham <laughs> that's going on here. Um, I think she'd be a great Catwoman under other circumstances, but this wasn't really working for me. Yeah. Um, and uh, don't get me started on Natalia Al Ghul 
twist. <laughs> oh, please, uh, dude. Uh, and this whole movie where they're focusing on Bane being the you know the child who escaped the the pit, and then it's like, no, nah, it wasn't him. He was just some schmuck who, who likes uh, Marion Cotillard as you would. So you uh, didn't get to Interstellar. There's that Benny. one scene, that one scene where he's like lying on the ground and she like lovingly puts like puts his face back together like a child. Something like, oh my god, you have ruined that character. Like in one <laughs> scene. You have yeah. just like, taken away all the for all oh. of the this inane like psycho babble that Bane's spouting in the entire film. We're giving back to the people. This was never his crusade. He didn't give a shit. He was just hanging out yeah. with a chick. Fucking Although, horrible. Having said that, it did birth the bad man skit of that of being like <laughs> when he's talking about boning her. <laughs> really oh my cool. god! So, have you gone through and watched those that that internet series of bad men? Who are you talking to? Because I certainly have. George, George. No, I haven't, sir. He's so spot on. Mate. Pete Holmes, he does the most. Oh he will ruin Christian Bale for you. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Happened for me. But it, it, like, it is honestly some of the funniest shit. Like when he's talking to Superman, like Superman's like, oh, we should team up. And he's like, fucking why? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I have I'm, seen I've shown you at least one. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I have. No, no you talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with the guns as well. <laughs> he's not dead. He's sleeping. I specifically remember almost laughing into tears in the like the, the Dark Knight Rises video where it's the very end of the Dark Knight Rises and, and Gordon shows up and he's like, Harvey Dent, can we trust him? He's <laughs> 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 like, he died eight years ago. It's so good. <laughs> if, if you take anything away from this, go watch Bad Man. Uh, with Pete Holmes, it's fucking yeah. hilarious. It's like what, six skits or something. Yeah, fucking funny. Um, and Georgie, no, never got to uh, to Interstellar. That one didn't. I, I definitely fearful. think it's a better film than um, than The Dark Knight Rises. But unfortunately, it it didn't live up to the the excitement of of kind of being like the spiritual successor in certain ways to Inception. Of, of you know, mm. he, he's done another Batman and he's he's another standalone original thing. Yeah. Um, it definitely wasn't blown away. I think I'll, I'll probably won't give that one a go this week because it's been an interesting journey. I am. I'm surprised that I didn't jump onto Interstellar. Um, because Better than 2001: A Space Odyssey, right? Um, <laughs> have I actually said that? Yeah, dude. Uh, I stick by it then. <laughs> I, did I'm, I plant I'm my flag even... in that hill? I did. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Let me get um, back up there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I, I just don't like 2001. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, Fair yeah. enough. Um, the no, I, I ended up doing something that is inadvisable, but also not a terrible thing to do, which is I read, I re went back to Dunkirk. Mm. Um, and the only reason that I say that is inadvisable is that nothing will compare to the first time I saw that in the theater. No, that is such a film that belongs in the theater uh, exclusively. <laughs> you know, I remember, I, I god, I remember listening to the, the speaker, like the speakers would shudder when the planes came in, like it was anxiety you know, mm. hearing those planes. Um, and it just doesn't, like, I mean, you, you, it's better if you have a good sound system, like if you have a sound bar or something like that and you're not just listening it off your TV. <laughs> God, that'd be shit. Um, but, do that. <laughs> I'll pay that, sir. Uh... <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it's just not the same, right? It just doesn't, it doesn't convey this, like that, that movie is meant to be seen on the big screen. I remember when Having I was, said that, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I was going to say, having said that, having got that like gripe out of the way, it is still a spectacular film um, and so cleverly put together. Um, and it still conveys like not in the same gravity, but it still conveys that anxiety, that kind of like that pressure um, 
you know, I was in the, in the interview that I was watching with him, he was talking about a lot of those techniques and one of them uh, being the, um, Oh, suddenly I've forgotten it. It's the, the tone. What is the tone that um, increases? Oh yeah. The perpetually increasing tone. Yeah. yeah. Shepherd's tone. Shepherd's tone. Um, yeah. He's talking about using that and then interlocking between scene or, you know, going in between scenes to build that tension. So like both um, auto audio and visually, you know, building up and ramping up the pressure, um, you know, just the way that he shoots it in 3d space. Like he doesn't use a monitor. He sits there and he like, he wants to see how far away he is from the subject or like how far the camera is away and like how everything relates to each other. Like he, apparently he doesn't really use zoom. Like he, like if he wants a close up shot, he gets the camera and shoves it yeah. in the face. It's a prime, he only um, uses prime lenses. That's, that's very commonplace. That's, you know, it's really interesting that he's taken that tact with it. It makes it feel a little bit more visceral. And the reason why he's doing that is because he's looking at the actor's performance. He's like, okay, old mate's yeah. got it lined up. We know what the shot looks like. Now I'm just making sure that we've got the human emotion. And yeah. that's where I'm looking and into their like, eyes and yeah. experiencing the And he take. is right next to the camera. Mm. So he kind of sees how everything sits around, but like... He's he not sitting there like this. Stare at a monitor, yeah. Like you look at Ridley yeah. Scott in his um, little tent with his with his fourteen TVs there. <laughs> um, you know, it's a completely that's different, a different world. Kind of like, yeah, and and good on like if you're able to do that, if you're able to look at like all those monitors and like concoct something in your head as to what's meant to happen, then fucking that's impressive on its own. Yeah, um, Ozymandias level. Yeah, yeah, but um, look, I I just I think that that film is subtle genius. Um, you know, I, it doesn't quite top Inception for me because I think Inception is, is the best of everything that Nolan has. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just such a, it's such a, it's another example of how he brings all his, like all his little idiosyncrasies into a film, you know, just playing with time, you know, having that, that time theme in the, um, just can't the music help it I remember we were like, when I went to um, South Africa with my folks over the Christmas break, my dad, I saw he was watching Dunkirk and I almost slapped the headphones off him six hours into the flight. Because I was oh, like, in, what are on you? On a plane. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck are you doing, sir? What are you doing watching Dunkirk with a Wasn't shitty ass? <laughs> you know, like, what are you doing? Oh, but, you know, he, you know, but to your point, well, Connor, is like, the theater, he, though. You know, he 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 really loves going to the um. They my mom and dad go to the cinema like more so than most people, but they no, they're normally watching like a little you know rom com or like a, a French yeah. film or something like, you know. <clears throat> but but he um you know I just remember he, he it was regardless to your point, Connor is is he still got a real kick out of it, and uh, you know even without that cinema experience, the film still translates. But the the optimal yeah. way to see it is in the theater. And I'd say that of most films, like the optimal way to see most films is on a big screen with a good sound system and all that kind of stuff. But there are certain films that just like they demand you it, are yeah. missing something if you haven't seen it in the theaters. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nolan's of course been given a lifetime pass to. Um, I will always get excited for one of his movies. Um, so Dunkirk was sort of a disappointment again. Um, three strikes because. Um, despite his previous two movies, I was like so keen to see another fucking Nolan film. And it left me a little cold. I really think it is a technical, absolute stunning masterpiece. Um, and 
you know, so well constructed in so many ways, but already not being interested in war films and then having a film that is more or less without a narrative, um, I could only get so much out of it. Um, and for what a film like that has to offer me, I, I really do think it is amazing, but um, it's not my kind of jam, unfortunately, for, especially yeah, from yeah. a guy who makes stuff like Inception. To that point, that's why I'll probably never see Dunkirk again unless it's in the cinema. I've seen it once. Yeah. I saw it in the cinema. That's great. Perfect. Mm. Spot on. Yeah. Well, folks, that's that was fun. Right? That was some good Nolan time. I, I, I need to watch Inception this week. That's definitely on my list. So I'll report in on that next week. But um, everyone at home listening, let us know what your picks for Nolan are uh, and, and why, why do you love him so much or, or why do you hate him? Maybe, maybe you think he's a piece of shit. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but let's can we collectively off. decide to stop just throwing Nolan in the hat for a director of a film every time we want to oh. like do a, a fantasy director thing? What was that? He's not, he's not making a bond. That was me agreeing with your point, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, and I think we'll be talking about something fun a little bit later. But let's let's uh, before we get into that, let's let's uh, do question of the week. Got an awesome question from Drake Travascus here. Quite a long one and quite a lot to unpack. Um, cool name, Drake. Did I say Drake? Maybe I did. Jake, sorry if I, I said know, Drake. But that's, that Jake, that's your new name because that's yeah, hella, you're Drake. hella cool. <laughs> uh, long-winded question. Do you think the director of a Marvel film even matters, given that it's styled like a TV series? And in most TV shows, the director doesn't really do much but direct the actors as the crew is consistent and do the same setups for action, location, whatever and in most cases it is the showrunner that has the final say in the script and the direction and in this case it is kevin feige might be the reason why they chose uh why they choose directors who haven't had much of a mark and given that they know that this will be largely out of their hands they do it so they can get uh to do another big bigger budget film later down the track e.g taika watiti uh, might explain why Sam Raimi is going to do this to get out of career jail and why Scott Derrickson didn't want to do it again. Are there any Marvel films that have distinct director's imprints on the film other than Guardians of the Galaxy and Ragnarok? Whoa, big calls there. A lot to unpack. Uh, Benny, Connor, where do we start here? Uh, We've got um, a, a I, lot of <laughs> parallels to TV series, um, and I, I think there's there's some uh, interesting connections being made there. I think that's yeah. well observed. I, I mean, it certainly is run more like like a, a season of television. Um, yeah. And to to that point, I think to a degree, the directors do matter less than they would in you know smaller productions or more or tour driven films. Yeah, I I would probably agree with that in the sense that like part of their success is that there is some level of homogeneity between the, the films. Like the, mm. it, it is a, a, an over, there is an overarching story to them all. Um, you know, but I don't know that I would, would say would go so far as to say that it doesn't matter. Um, or even that they, um, that they got directors of little that have made little mark. Like you got, you know, the, the original directors like Kenneth Branagh, uh, um, John Favreau, Joss Whedon, were all well-established directors, um, you know, at the time. And I think they made very different films. And I think they put 
you know, w- within the overall scope of the MCU. I think they all put their particular mark on it. Um, I'd even argue that for uh, Taika Waititi. I mean, you know, maybe it's just because he's um, from across the pond for us, but um, in Australia, I knew who Taika Waititi was and, and had watched and, and loved a lot of his films before he jumped onto Ragnarok. But of course, um, you've got your, your Alan Taylors and your Peyton Reeds and mm. um, whoever else, which certainly adhere more to that. Um, to that, well, yeah, TV guys certainly adhere more to that um, that kind of Hollywood thing of, of taking someone who's made a movie, if that, um, and chucking on a production so they can potentially strong arm them into just doing, making what they wanted to make. But I mean, if you look at the Russo brothers, and as an example, you said that they kind of deal more with the action on that. I mean, that stands out. You know, almost unquestionably, the MCU films that have the best action are Russo Brothers. Um, yeah, Russo Brothers MCU films definitely feel like, you know, other Russo Brothers MCU films. You can't tell them apart. I think mm. this sort of leads to my overall viewpoint here is that within what you're given that Marvel gives you, you can really shape that to how you want. And I do think to to all of those different points, all those different directors, they do have a different flavor. But but Marvel has, a, a, you know, all the CGI is going to have a, a similar sheen to it. All the production design is going to have a cohesiveness to it. You know, all those other touch points that, that are in these pieces, that also adds to the homogeneity, the, the music the Marvel logo at the beginning, everything about it just makes it feel like this. The so, insistence on shooting everything in wide shots and mid shots with no close-ups among all of the movies. And that's, you know, strange. everyone shed yeah. on it, but every, the Dark Phoenix, I remember those those close, close, close-up shots. And I was like, wow, like I'm seeing Gorgeous. this in a, in a superhero film. This, this is so intense. Mm. Um, um, I wasn't used to it. The production, though, because we were we were actually just talking to someone that has worked um, in terms of the art department um, on a Marvel film, and they said that they, you know, going in, they thought there was going to be a lot less room for individual expression or like you know bringing ideas to the table. And he said it was the exact opposite. In fact, like they they were given license actually to do their own their own thing. So I think that you know the the image of MCU is probably not quite the reality. Um, in terms of the freedom that you have as a director or... That's on the micro, though. I think on the macro, though, we've heard about these very public struggles between the directors oh, um, I mean, and yeah. and Marvel. Like, it really seems like things, especially early on, you know, with John Favreau, Joss Whedon, it seems like Marvel wanted things a certain way and they got it. Mm. And I'm not, I'm not discounting that at all. I think that, you know, there are certain points that they will be quite insistent upon. But I don't think that, you know, I think that if you work within those, there is, I think there's more leniency than perhaps some people give it credit for. And that's how you get things like Ragnarok or, um, you know, how you get things like well, what what is hopefully going to be a Rami, Rami film, <laughs> Rami film that is like really, you know, uh, perhaps breaks the mold a little bit on what we would expect out of an MCU film. I would love to see a little more um, stylistic divergence with these films because I, I, I feel like it's overstated that these movies all have to feel of a piece. I, I really feel like they could branch out a little more, especially now that they're you know the most popular brand in the world. I think we could yeah. stand to have um, a little more experimentation in them. Um, apparently, there's even like a, a musical number in Eternals, which I'm sure will be factored very much into the story. But um, I'm I'm really keen to see a bit more ex- experimentation. Yeah. What do you think about the point of, um, you know, sort of like Sam Raimi leveraging those characteristics of these productions to, to sort of propel his career in a new 
new uh, direction because you know I've been saying and we've all kind of been saying that this is this is quite different that a, a director of his pedigree is coming in. You know that, that that's something that never occurred to me and mm, sparks an interesting question. Um, I mean, it it kind of depends on why Rami hasn't been working for the last couple of years. Yeah, is he in director's um, jail or is he just taking time? I, I haven't looked into it at all. I have no idea. If he is in director's jail, um, I would think the something more like the, the, the way Shyamalan got out of there would be the way to go, you know, as a, yeah. a smaller film um, like he did with Drag Me to Hell, um, Raimi that is. Um, I don't know if jumping back into the machine would necessarily help him, especially if um, kind of as the question posits, the, the director is, is less important than than we would no. hope. Remy does feel like the kind of person that wouldn't work because he not, he's an auteur and he just hasn't found something that interests him or, or a product project. Like I can't, you know, I don't know, but um, mm. I do feel like I agree with you, Ben, if he was going to jump back into the fray, this seems like an odd way to do it. Cause this just seems so off brand for him. Like this just doesn't seem, and you know, maybe that's the point. Maybe he's like, I can play the good company, man. Please give me more money. Remy making a Marvel superhero film. What is this? Well, it, it ended, kidding, kidding. You know, famously <laughs> disastrous. So, <Yeah. laughs> anything else to add to this question, guys, or are we all wrapped up here? Um, yeah. Nope. Look, I, I think that it's somewhere in the middle. It's you know, it's it's As not with all the difference. Things. Yeah, it's not. You're not going to have like the Zack Snyder style of like, oh, this is definitely a Zack Snyder film. But you're also like, I also don't think it's as you know as uh, by the numbers as people think. Yeah. I tend to agree. Uh, all right, guys, what a fun episode. And we've been teasing this all episode, so time to announce something fun for next week. Uh, this is an awesome idea that Benny pitched to us in the group chat uh, that uh, we thought would be a really fun way for us to kind of engage uh, with you guys and have something a little bit more uh, fun to do and uh, a little bit of a weekly assignment. Benny, do you want to take it away with... Uh, with what you think in here, dude? Yeah, sure. Um, a friend of mine asked me for a bunch of movies to watch, um, and I, I really admire his taste. I love hearing what he thinks about films. So the the idea of him watching a bunch of things that I told him to watch, and then having him tell me how great I am at picking films, um, was just kind of infectious. Um, I don't know <laughs> if that's a taboo word right now. Um, so I thought, wait, what if I could convince the podcast guys? to let me tell them to watch movies and they have to watch them. <laughs> Not six years down the line, the George method, but within a week <laughs> that I said it. You've forgotten the best part of the George message, which is to forget that you recommended it and then recommend <laughs> it back to you. Yes. So we'll, have this on, we'll have this on. That's, that's the whole punchline <laughs> with it. Um, so, yeah, I basically thought we could have a book club with films. A film book club, if you will. Movie book club. <laughs> Uh, and we we decided that Connor would take away the first recommendation. So yeah, uh, so every yeah. week, guys, we're going to basically pick a film and uh, we're going to watch it and then discuss it the next week. And then you guys at home and, can, can, can can watch along. It can be a film that you've seen. Um, it doesn't you know doesn't have to be. Um, it can be a film that you haven't seen. Um, you know, my first thought went to Evil to make you guys watch films that you didn't want to watch. Um, I think my first suggestion was King Arthur, um, which I personally found hilarious. And um, I, I, my own rules, I say there's no vetoes. So if you say that shit, yeah. we got to watch it. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Would it be great if the oh, last oh. second I switched around and I said, King Arthur? <laughs> <laughs> no, say the real one, Connor. King Honestly, Arthur. It's, it's, just, it's clicking. There's still a part of my brain that's like, just fucking do it. Um, no, uh, my first pick was one that I knew that George hadn't seen. Um, so I intentionally brought it in here because I know that it, like, I, I just have a feeling that he'll love it. Uh, and it's Prisoners, which ironically we actually mentioned earlier in the episode. Um, Danny Villeneuve's so, Prisoners. Yeah, for next week, we'll, we'll um, all have seen Prisoners. Um, it's, it is one that I have seen before. It's one that I really love. Um, it's one of the first films that made me fall in love with Villeneuve, um, who I don't think I ever mentioned. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's where we're at. So everyone Good at thing home, you learned how to pronounce his name, Connor. It only took six years. I, I mean, it, I still can't pronounce um, <laughs> Del Toro's name. Like, it just, like <laughs> names escape me. It could be like, you know, like Bob, I'm probably sure to get wrong at some point. <laughs> but so, so everyone at home, go ahead and watch Prisoners for next week. And, uh, you know, hit us up on social media if you have any questions or something you want to talk about um, in regards to that film that we can bring up during the discussion. And uh, we uh, will also have a film uh, to be talking about for the week after that. So we'll be announcing that on next week's episode. Um, and something else I wanted to say, but I'm forgetting what I'm going to say. Something about this. Creators episode. Yeah, creators we'll episode. This. Creators episode will be up later this week. 150th? 150th episode next week of the weekly show. So we've been doing this for right. three years, this podcast. Um, slogging away, baby. Slogging away, man. But, uh, you know, it's it's really like we were just catching up before. You know, I'm going to get a little bit of mushy with you guys here. I know Colin's been busted in my balls, week. but, um, <laughs> you know, I'll, 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 I'll get mushy next week. But, but um, you know, just having a chat with you guys is just super fun, um, especially in quarantine where I, I've been feeling, you know, not, not, the, not the greatest at times. And, <laughs> and it's just, uh, you know, good to just hang out and chat with you guys. And, uh, and if we can bring this conversation to the people with this movie book club, you know, I'm all for it. It does, oh, it yeah. does make me feel as though we never really stopped working at the back, uh, the back of the movie theater. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it's, <laughs> feels like we're doing chalk tops out back. Yeah, exactly. Good times. Doesn't all right, guys. Like... So prisoners for next week. That's everyone's homework. Um, I don't want to be seeing nobody watching, <laughs> uh, especially me because I haven't seen it. And uh, that was fun. All the best, Connor Benny. We'll see you next week and uh, happy watching. Bye. I'm just happy I made it through an entire episode with my video. How good. Yeah, seriously. Hey. <laughs> well it done. completely fuck up. Well done, sir. All right. Oh, Connor, we're listening. Yeah. <laughs> <Of course. laughs>